I pray, friends, that you have been spending time in the Gospel of Luke. Last week we started going through it at chapter 8, and in case you missed that, you can always catch it on the YouTube. You know, if you're traveling, you can't make it here to worship, please be sure to watch online. And I, and I know it's not the same or the best way to worship because as God has designed us, we're built for community. But for some of us, that is our only option. And I see you, Grandma, and, and I promise we haven't forgotten about you. And we keep working hard to stream each and every service that we do. And on another note, if you or someone you know hasn't yet been visited by Micah Rabel or anyone from our care and uh, prayer visitation team, just drop us an email, call the church office, and we will make sure that we bring the church to you, able to bring communion to you, pray with you, and encourage you in God's words. Which reminds me, you just finished serving VBS. If you miss serving on VBS, perhaps you'd like to be part of our visitation team where you go to the homes and you meet with people and you bring church to them. We desperately need you. And just shoot me an email or stop me and I'll make sure you get plugged in that ministry. Because the truth is these times have been very hard, whether that's emotionally, financially, physically, everybody seems to be doing what they can do. And I'm telling you, it may not sound like it makes sense, but the very best thing you can do right now is to get involved in your church. Because it's here when you are involved and serving that we're experiencing more than what we can just get out of life, but instead you'll experience what God wants to do in your life as you serve and as together we live out his promises. There's a reason we gather here every Sunday together, united as one heartbeat, but we must also be together and united even outside these walls. So I'd encourage you to take that next step and find your place. And I know summertime seems like the time where you're traveling, working, and relaxing, but I'm telling you, there's no better time than before you get back into the swing of everything. And believe me, I'm not jinxing summer to be over, but find your way to get involved and do it now. Because we at St. John's are continuing to push, continuing to win people for Jesus. And there are so many exciting opportunities for you to be able to bring people to your church and to be able to bring people to Jesus. So I pray you'll consider that, especially as we dive into today's gospel reading from Luke chapter 9. Now, last week we were in chapter 8, and I just want to kind of pull you up to speed, because sometimes as we go through the text, we're going to skip over certain areas. Sometimes that's because we talk about those other parts of Scripture during special Sundays. Other times it's just they weren't the ones that were selected by church fathers hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And if you remember last week in chapter 8, we ended with Jesus healing the man possessed by demons. They went into the pigs. They ran off the cliffs. The man said, Jesus, I want to follow you. He said, go back into your own home and speak to the work of God in your life. And then we start chapter 9. And chapter 9 starts with Jesus sending out his 72, the ones that had been with him. He gives them the power to go out to preach in his name and to do uh, casting out demons, doing miracles and things like that. It then transitions really quickly into Jesus feeding the 5,000. Then Jesus is going to turn around and ask those disciples who are sitting with him, who do you say I am? In which Peter will confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Then Jesus is going to immediately predict his death. Then there's going to be the transfiguration where Jesus and a couple of the disciples go up onto the mountain and he's transfigured into all his glory. Then he's going to heal a demon-possessed boy. And then the entire verse, this one comes up, I love it. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. And friends, that all happens in 43 verses. 
So you got to make sure that you're out there at home getting into the Word of God so that it can change you and so that you can experience walking and following Jesus. Because as soon as this verse is recorded in verse 43, Jesus predicts his death a second time. And then there's this section where the disciples have this argument about who's the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, picks up a little child just like what we just saw, had him stand beside them and says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is who is least among you that is greatest. And that really sets the stage for where our text picks up today. For Jesus has this remarkably different way of describing greatness and what it actually means to follow him. And what I love about Jesus, he doesn't just like talk the talk. The dude also walks the walk. That's an old school rhyme. Does anyone ever remember that one? Two knots, I thank you, and one clap. Never had that before. That's fantastic. So, friends, Bible's out. Bible's out because today we're going to see Jesus up close and personal doing some teaching, correcting, and modeling for us how we are to be and really who we are to be. Because when we say your identity is in Jesus and what he has done for you, that's where it first and foremost starts. But it's not supposed to stop there. Because there is work to do. There is this great commission to live out. There are people to save and people to serve. So the first thing in our text today that we're going to see Jesus modeling for us is his steadfast determination. And this is again from Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 51. The verses will appear behind me. If you bought your Bibles out, now's a great chance to mark those up and follow along. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And then I put in little quotation marks this note that maybe you see in your Bibles because his face was set for going to Jerusalem. See, Jesus, to take the way he does to go to Jerusalem, to go through Samaria, was very unusual. But to attempt to find hospitality in a Samaritan village was even more unusual. But like I mentioned last week, Luke is going to dedicate several chapters to Jesus journeying through this land, all heading to Jerusalem, where he will, like the text says there at the very top line, be taken up into heaven. First, he'll be taken up on the cross, and then after his resurrection, taken to heaven, or as we say in our creed, ascend to heaven. But we're on what? Chapter 9, not chapter 20. No fair jumping ahead, sir. Now look at what this text says. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem, heading for Jerusalem. As I said before, his face set on that. Now this is a fitting description because of the difficulty of the task that was before him heading to Jerusalem. The prophet Isaiah prophesies this in chapter 50, which reminds me, Jill, Jill Brimmer, are you here today? Jill last week shoots me an email, says, Pastor Trevor, your sermon was okay. I've been looking all over Ezekiel 37, not finding that river of life. I made a mistake. It was Ezekiel 47. So first off, Jill, love that you're in the word. Love all that you do for your care community. And thank you for keeping me on my toes. Isaiah 57, double-checked it twice, 50, verse 7, speaks prophetically of the Messiah, the great servant. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint. And the suffering servant will not be ashamed. The prophet is foretelling how Jesus would steadfastly set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, to suffer, and to die. Jesus hardened his face, not in the sense of becoming 
hard or angry because of what he had to do, but because of the focus, the focus needed in this difficult time, a time in which the world will offer him several different things to do rather than go to the cross. His own friends will try to stop him from talking such foolishness about predicting his own death. How the devil and other leaders will try to make him think that he is unworthy and unable to do it. Not to mention that he was God in human flesh and could have at any time changed his mind or chose not to embrace the suffering. But he has set his face to endure the taunting, the mocking, the suffering, the stress, the agony, the pain. Sets his face because he goes to the cross for you and I. With a face like flint and a heart that never wears. And you know that there's usually just two kinds of courage, right? There's the courage of the moment, the spontaneous one, right? The baby falls in the pool, you jump in to grab it, or you jump on a grenade. Captain America, a la Marvel. Then there's planned courage, right? Which sees the task ahead and yet steadfastly marches toward it. Nothing was a surprise for Jesus. And in his courage, he saw the cross on the horizon and still went for you and I. Before he gets there, he's going through Samaria. In case you were wondering, the Samaritan people, of course, according to 2 Kings chapter 17, seem to have originated from the intermarrying of Jews from the northern kingdom, which was also important with non-Jewish people who were being conquered meaning the ones that were either living in the cities that were being conquered or the ones who the conquering nations brought along as well to be relocated. These mixed Jews and Gentiles developed their own translation of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament. They're going to build their own temple of worship and celebrate their own Passover. And so when Jesus apparently sends James and John and they enter into this village to prepare for Jesus' coming, they don't want Jesus, a Jew, to come or stay. Because Samaritans and Jews didn't have good relations with one each other. They were prejudiced against one another. 54 says, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire to destroy them from heaven? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. I put that little B because if you're following along in your Bible, maybe you saw that some of the earlier translations also included Jesus' response after he rebukes them, saying, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, looking at that first couple lines, you might think if you were at VBS, James and John's were not guys that you wanted to flat tire as you were heading out to go, no telling what they would do. But it does seem that the prejudice works both ways. And just like the prophet Elijah had called down fire on those who had rejected God, these brothers wanted to do the same. And I think we could probably spend a little time here, could we not? The desire to call down fire and destroy those we do not like, to burn up the ones who don't do what we think they should do. Call down fire on the ones who wrong us, who hurt us, who make us feel like we are less than enough. People who we don't get along with because of our differences of belief or skin color or thought or lifestyle. Maybe call down fire on anyone who would have a different set of political beliefs as us. 
the deep desire to immediately destroy those different or against us, especially when we have the power to do it. I think of the many times as myself, as a father, I overstep my own bounds. Now, I'm yet to call fire down on my teenager, but I do know how to yell and how to use my words to destroy. And the same could be said of the way I've spoken to my spouse, my coworkers, even my friends, and maybe you found yourself there a few times too. Text says Jesus turns and rebuked them. Their suggestion, their desire, even though it was on behalf of Jesus, was not appreciated. And maybe we should spend some time there too. How much hate has been spread in the name of defending Jesus? Families who cast out their own children because that's not how we raised you, not how God says you're supposed to be, as if any of us truly are. But the determination, the steadfastness, the focus of Jesus mentioned in the previous verses doesn't mean that he was tough or angry. And maybe those two saw that flint face of Jesus and thought, oh, he wants us to be mean and tough. They didn't understand that it meant being more focused now on love than ever before. See, the flint-like face of Jesus that ends up on the cross is the ultimate demonstration of love, not a demonstration of destruction, fire, and anger. Jesus says in that little B part where that they didn't know themselves. Perhaps they thought they were being like Jesus or they were showing the character of God, but they were mistaken and they had misrepresented God and his heart because Jesus loves the Samaritans. Scripture tells us that God loves all people and desires them to repent and be saved. They had misunderstood Jesus and his mission. The mission of Jesus, the mission of our church, is to come to save the lost, not to burn them up with fire from heaven. Because it is very clear that when the brothers are asked to destroy, Jesus doesn't turn, laugh it off, or make a silly joke or say, not today, guys, maybe later. Instead, he rebukes them. And in his very final minutes with these brothers, up in the upper room before he will head to the cross, he reminds them that they must be known and identified by their love. He will give them the keys to heaven power and authority to work miracles, to do things that no one had seen before. And says, be known by your love, not your ability to take over, wield power to destroy or to get what you want, but to love. If you're sitting there today thinking, yeah, it sure would have been a lot easier just to burn them up than it is because it's hard to love. It is very hard to love. And in many of our experiences, we would be telling the truth to say, you know what? I'm not sure if loving someone is enough. Because love requires living in the gray sometimes. Love requires a lot of prayer and listening. Love requires a way of knowing who you are and what you believe 
and also letting go of your pride. Love is very hard. Text then jumps to these three different interactions. Jesus with people. And these people aren't asking him to leave, but asking to follow him. As they're walking, a man says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, foxes have dens, birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lift his, lay his head. I think that the man, when he had heard about the miracles of Jesus, thought that maybe following Jesus would be the glamorous life. And I have no doubt that Jesus probably received many spontaneous offers like this. And so when Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head, Jesus isn't telling the man, no, you can't follow me. He's simply telling the man the truth, not painting a glamorized version of what it is going to be like following Jesus. Jesus wants to be clear in what it means to follow him and to know at the very beginning. So many times in simplicity, we have begun to think that if I follow Jesus, then everything in my life is going to go good. If I follow Jesus, it will be good and great, and I will have no problems. If I follow the law, and I do everything that God wants me to do, then God is going to bless me and give me what I want. You do not find that in Scripture. And Jesus is reminding those that follow him that they are not following him for an easy life. They are following him into a life of picking up their cross, a life of sacrifice, a life that requires you to die a little so that you can live a lot. When you follow Jesus, you don't get what you want. And when you follow Jesus, it's going to be very hard especially when your life doesn't seem to be changing for the better. But look at Hebrews 11, look at the disciples. They didn't get a very glamorous life, but friends, what they got was so much deeper and richer than the outside, maybe what we would call the Instagram life, the one that looks amazing when I'm looking at pictures, but inside, mm, inside, friends, is where you get Jesus. It's where your children didn't get a single one wrong and knew that Jesus is with you in the good and the bad, doesn't abandon you when it isn't easy. That Jesus is with you always, and the question from Jesus is, will that be enough? Will my word and my promise and my love for you be enough? He says to another, follow me. But the man replies, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What? This is not asking permission, by the way, for the man to go dig a grave for his deceased father. This is a man asking to remain in his father's house and care for him until the father dies. This was probably an indefinite period might last in a little bit longer and longer, no telling when his father would pass away. Here's a question not of choosing between right and wrong, but between right and right, and the person is torn. He's hesitating. That's the real issue. Between two good things, 
both of them stamped with the seal of the divine. God calls us to love our family. And the man wants to follow Jesus, but he's really saying, I want to follow you, but not just yet. It's really good to follow Jesus, I know that. But I can't do it right now. I know it's good to worship on Sundays, but I, I, I really, I can't this week. I'm tired. I need a break. Kids got a game. And your time's 10.30. That doesn't work for me. The previous man was too quick to follow Jesus. Now this man is being too slow. Jesus is telling him, follow me now. Not ignoring the family duties. But you have to put following Jesus ahead of the other things in your life. Jesus must come first. Because look, he doesn't say, if you stay, then you can't follow me. He says, start with speaking truth in the lives of your family. Start right now where you are, loving and encouraging those around you to know who Jesus is. Do not delay. Do not put it off. The next text says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me go back and say goodbye to my family at least. That's got to be it, right? Like you can at least say goodbye to them. Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's driving the point home. One offered to follow Jesus when he could. The other man just wants one more, one more thing and then I'll do it. And to me, this one hit differently. Because I found myself many times saying, I'm just going to do this one more time and then never again. Then I'm going to really start following Jesus, really going to get after it. This is my last brownie, and then I'm working out every day. This is the last time I look, and then I promise never again. I'll get it out of my system. There cannot be one last time. There cannot be one more for the road. It's just too dangerous. And this is the metaphor Jesus uses. And now that I understand it, I love it. He says, no one, having put their hand to the plow, looks back as fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, it's necessary to follow him. Just like when a farmer plows his field, I looked this up, they do it with all their strength and they have to look forward. Maybe there's like a tree or something that they're looking at, but they have to keep that straight line going. Because if they look back, it's just like when I'm yelling at the kids, stop that, the car's drifting into the wrong lane. You got to keep going straight. And here's what's better than just driving a car and using that as the example. Maybe they didn't have cars in that time. I'm not sure. I'd have to Google it. But here's the thing. They had to hold on for dear life on that plow because the oak or the, or the ox or the horse that was pulling it, if they let go, that's why Paul says, forget what is behind you, friends. Strain towards what is ahead. Press on towards the goal. Claim the prize for which God has given you in Jesus. Hold on. Hold unswervingly to the hope. Because for as difficult as it is right now, don't you ever let go of Jesus. See, our text today challenges us. Challenges us to leave stuff behind, to focus on him. But above all, our text today gives us confidence. Because what did you see from your Jesus? That Jesus lived the very thing he asked you to do. 
he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem for you and I, has given mercy to you and I despite our sin, sacrificed himself for you and I, gave up everything for you and I. And I promise you, your Lord Jesus does not ever look back on what he has done for you. He did not make a mistake with you. He does not resent dying for you. You heard it from your children. He loves you. He loves you. So friends, here we go. Embrace the times ahead. Don't even hesitate or look back. Hold on to the one who is holding you.